It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. <laughs> okay, uh, welcome in on a Monday. P-Man here with you. We've got uh, Philip the Rep Bilkington producing, intern William also uh, in the hizzle. What a great job he's done. It's the last day of uh, intern William's uh, run this calendar year. Let me undo this. This looks a little, looks a little stuffy. There we go. That's, looks like he's in better. a straight jacket. I probably need to be. Uh, I am uh, convalescing. I'm a little under the weather. I'm better than I was a couple days ago, for sure. Better than I was yesterday, for sure. But uh, in the interest of keeping everybody uh, healthy, uh, I'm uh, broadcasting from the home studio today and uh, broadcasting from, or not broadcasting, I should say, from tiebreakers tonight. Will not uh, be part of the show. Don't want to get anybody uh, sick and uh, create problems during uh, the time when everybody's finishing up finals and uh, getting ready for the holiday break and the men's team going to play against uh, Florida on Thursday. So, you know, don't want to mess anybody's stuff up. But we do have a a stellar edition tonight of Inside ECU Athletics coming up at the top of the hour. That's going to be uh, featuring uh, the... uh, coach of the Pirates in basketball, Mike Swartz. And we're also going to have uh, an interview, in case you missed it, with the offensive coordinator, newly named John David Baker. I go and I had the chance to uh, chat with him. So you'll hear that coming up uh, tonight, right here on 94.3 The Game and across the ECU Sports Network. Uh, I, As a result of my uh, being a little sick, a little under the weather, could not go to the... Uh, the uh, Christmas party this year. I think I think we've determined what this was the third year in a row because of illness. I was not at the party. No, you made Is it. that right? No, because I've been three times now, and you were there the first time. You were a little late, and because we years. all made fun of you for being late two years ago. Yeah, in twenty twenty one, we all made fun of you for showing up late. Have you heard of fashionably late, Philip? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, you don't get to a party on time. Who does that? Fair enough. There was a buddy of mine, a guy, he writes for the Virginian pilot now, it's David Hall, and he and his then-wife used to have these really great little get-togethers at Christmas when he worked in Kinston. And uh, they had this really nice pad, and you could go there and you'd hang out. Well, they had a huge Christmas party. It's called Deck the Halls. It was great. And they had it for two or three years when they lived there, and it was a fantastic time. There was uh, a cat, I forget his name, I I didn't really know him other than knew him from the party, who worked at the uh, newspaper there in Kinston, right? And so the party, I was going to stay after the party. I wanted to to create the after party. That was my role in the whole thing, Pilk, you know, is come for the party. And then when everybody else leaves, then we have the after party, if you know what I'm saying. Wait, wait, wait. The man who gets up every morning at 4 a.m.? Oh, was this up was before for the, the 4 a.m. days. Okay. This was before the 4 a.m. This Patrick was, uh, and staying up late are not usually a thing. Patrick took text me at 4.30, I, you know, to respond to the text I sent him at 
Right. If you text me anytime after uh, eight o'clock, it's it's unless it's I've texted you first within the last ten minutes. You, you're not getting a text back till I get up in the morning at some ungodly hour. But I might have been getting up at an ungodly hour at this time. I just was had the ability to stay up late. I'm not sure, but um, I was I was the after party guy in those days. And my my point is, there was a gentleman who showed up at the deck the halls party who got there right on time and stayed to the very end. Usually, if you get there early, you leave early. If you get there a little late, you might stay a little later. But this guy was there, and he all he drank was uh, Pepsi from the beginning of the thing to the end of the thing. That's all he drank. Didn't have didn't partake in any holiday cheer. I, part, I partook in enough holiday cheer for several parties for that guy. But that guy just, he sat, he kind of sat, he was a great guy, sat in the same spot. Very friendly, just drink Pepsi. There you go. Uh, but how was the Christmas party? Did William go? Was William invited, or do we not invite interns to this? Wait, William was there. William? I never go now. I don't ever. I don't yeah. ever. I don't know what we do exactly. Yeah, William was there. Um, I don't. Did you, did you win anything, William? I won nothing. He won nothing. He did he not win. Yeah, they they play games. Did you guys like the magician or did you miss the magician because you're having to produce my show, Pilk? What happened? Uh, I did get there to see the end of that. It was very entertaining. So his act was called Magic is BS, but those were his initials. So he kept doing things that would think you make he botched the trick. Right. And right. then I heard he would. Yeah. So morning, it was kind yeah. of entertaining. I'd never seen anything like it. It was, it was different. I liked it. Cool. Well, uh, a, a fantastic uh, holiday party, and and then close to a hundred thousand dollars raised in our two Operation Santa Claus radiothons for one hundred seven point nine and uh, the talk properties one hundred three seven and ninety six three. So that's pretty remarkable stuff too for the Salvation Army. All right, uh, when we got Steve and I go to come on board earlier in the year, I think one of the things we were really excited about was the possibility of. Uh, some what they call synergy in the business. And the idea being that I go would uh, get sort of newsmaker interviews. And when he did, we might would uh, review some of those and uh, vice versa. I know he's taken some interviews that we've done and uh, maybe not on the radio side, but on the uh, uh, side with hoist the colors. He's, he's posted them on there. If I'm not mistaken, you know, quoted them and attributed them and that sort of thing. So, uh, earlier today, was it for the whole hour, Pilk? I, I have to admit, I, I, I was able to see the first maybe two segments, and I, I recorded the rest of it. I really wasn't able to see the whole thing uh, through, so I'm, I'm a, the whole show through. So I'm assuming uh, Gilbert was on the whole time. Is that correct? Yeah, he stayed on the full hour. Okay. So, and, and that's you know big, good of John to do that. Um, anyway, he talked about a lot of different things, and uh, one of the things that John did talk about was. Uh, you know, we talked about the NCA subdivision. He talked about the the NIL. Of course, you can go back and on the IBX Media app and and listen or watch this whole thing again uh, as it's in archival form or wherever you download podcasts. But if you go to the IBX Media app, which is free for download, and there's no pre roll ads. That's a pretty good place to start as far as uh, being able to to relive uh, this interview or any of the other uh, programs that we have uh, on our stations and here on ninety four three the game. But uh, this is John Gilbert. Uh, starting uh, off here, and I just wanted to you know hit a couple of these things, kind of soup du jour, 
topics and then comment on them before we uh, get to the pirate report and then Cy Seymour later on in the show. But let's start with Gilbert uh, talking about the hiring of John David Baker, the new OC, who you'll hear from later on tonight on Inside Pirate Athletics. You'll hear more from. So here's uh, JG on that. If you look at where Ole Miss is in the football world, uh, and and I realized they had a really good year at, at uh, 10-2 and two this year and, and did some good things offensively. The, the thing that uh, I liked was their profile. And if you look at the SEC West, you know, you got Alabama, Auburn, uh, LSU, Texas A&M. Like on a typical year, they are starting out in, in probably fifth place. And for them to, to do what they did, and it tells me that they've got to do a better job of evaluating talent, and they don't have the same NIL as those other schools. And so uh, that profile interests me. All right, so there you go. That was, um, you know, certainly I, I'm sure the same thing that was intriguing to uh, Coach Houston, who did a lot of uh, legwork and homework on uh, Coach Baker. And it was great to have Coach Baker on with us uh, Friday here on this show. Igo and I recorded something with him, and then uh, we had it on my show uh, Friday in case you missed it. And, uh, again, we'll hear more of that uh, tonight coming up on the network. Uh, this is uh, where we start to get into the subdivision thing. There's a lot of cuts on that. But first, before we do that, let's get into the NIL. Uh, Gilbert talked about uh, – this is, again, from Stephen Igo's Hoist the Colors show. He talked about – the uh, NIL and Team Boneyard in its efforts and where right now our NIL collective rates when you compare it to other members of the American. Uh, but he also said that there's always not a lot of honesty when it comes to the NIL at certain institutions. There is a lot of lying going on uh, as it relates to NIL. And certainly there are some really big deals out there that uh, student athletes are getting but i had another ad in our league tell me a story about uh he was sitting with another ad and both in our league so two ad's and two football coaches in our league are sitting together and one of the football coaches asked the other hey uh what is your highest student athlete uh, what what is he on in an NIL deal? And the coach said, oh, my, our highest athlete is on a $100,000 deal. And so they finished, and the next morning, the AD, my friend, said, hey, why, why'd you lie to the other coach? <laughs> and he said, we don't, we don't have – our whole NIL may not be 100000 And he said, I didn't want that other coach to look at our team and think that he yeah. could easily go in and buy a player. And so NIL is really important. It is taking place. It's got to be a part of the discussion. But but I'd also say it's somewhere in the middle of the road because there is a lot of lying that's going on as well. Yeah, and I think that's that was kind of an interesting story uh, to me. And, and what I tried to get when we pulled these, and I, and I pulled all these Gilbert cuts, I tried to pull what I thought was most interesting today from what I heard, certainly from the first kind of opening segment. I didn't want to – take everything that I go had done uh, it gives you some motivation to go and listen to the show because it really is a, uh, a captivating interview but I just thought these were some of the more important points and when it comes to Nil I'm sure there is a lot of uh, uh, cloak and dagger going on on in all levels of it 
Uh, I, in some cases, people may not be getting quite as much as they uh, as they claim either. There's you know ways that they divide the money with other things. It, it's really interesting in a lot of these places. All right, as far as the NCAA subdivision, that was a big presentation from last week. This is uh, John Gilbert talking about uh, the prospects, the prospects of uh, uh, of a different classification of a subdivision that pays the players directly from the school in the NCAA. I don't really want to term it a split. I think there's going to be a upper tier in Division One, and and if I had, I'm spitballing uh, a number of teams. It's probably going to be somewhere around forty teams or so that are going to operate more like a professional franchise. But but I'd also caution everyone with this. Like what what I saw that they proposed, like the bottom third teams in the Southeastern Conference could not afford to do what they're proposing. So we're talking about the upper crest of all of Division One athletics. All right. And uh, where does ECU lie in that subdivision. John Gilbert from uh, Hoist the Colors told Stephen Igo this. I don't think the model will ever go away where we don't play those schools. So I think there'll still be the opportunity to play them. And I think this is three to four years away. This is not something that's happened happening immediately. There are a lot of good schools that will get left out because they just can't afford to do this. So you're talking about budgets that are a hundred million north of a hundred million dollars to to do this. Uh, ECU's currently at forty five million. I want to I want to make sure that we are all talking to one another and the rest of us are determining what our best path forward is because there there are going to be a lot of schools uh, that provide meaningful experiences to their student athletes and i want to make sure that we develop the model that's good for us all right so he kind of gives you an idea there where ecu might rank in that uh stratosphere and being poised to to take advantage and and he kind of continues to talk about this because pilk correct me if i'm wrong but to me the interesting point in this whole thing was don't assume all the sec or all the Big Ten, or all of whoever, ACC, even half of the ACC would participate in this. Uh, I'm telling you that Northwestern and Missouri are not do not have the money to pay 30000 to half their fees. Well, there's a lot of people who don't have, and I mean, yeah. this is the other thing. This is every year. And the, as Doug Martin so eloquently put it last week, this just gets you in the door. This is the bare minimum. But anyway, Gilbert goes on this even further in this con in this comment about you know again could ECU marshal the resources to be a part of of this? Well, you're not talking about widespread. You're probably talking half of the top seventy programs or the P five so called P five now P four programs. Let's hear it. In all of 1A division football, let's call it 130 schools, about 25 of them operate in the black. The rest operate in the red. So in order for them to do this, they would either have to drop a large number of sports or radically change their business model. 
I, I am all for the, the student-athletes getting more. And again, when I make this comment, I'm talking about the upper tier of Division One athletics, and let's pick a school. I'm just picking random Ohio State. They make all of their money on football and men's basketball. And so if they go to this exact model that was proposed, um, you're paying half, minimum half of the athletes, 30000 all of the money at schools like that is made off of football and men's basketball. You're going to get a lawsuit like the next day from football and men's basketball players that say, um, I want to share in the revenue that I generate. I don't sh- want to share it with the field hockey team. So I don't want to share in that. Like you're taking money that we're we're helping generate. So I think there are a lot of pitfalls in what was um, – Proposed. I think it was a starting point to start the discussion. My biggest point will be let let the top thirty or forty go. Um, you know they can do some things financially that you know the rest of us can't do. And when I say the rest of us, it's a I, lot of schools. It's a lot of schools. A lot of good schools. A lot mm-hmm. of big name schools that you go. Oh my gosh, they they can afford to do that. No, they can't. Uh, they're, they're operating in the red and you know, barely, you know, getting by right now. So I, I want to make sure there's uh, leadership and organization for the rest of us where we determine what our model looks like moving forward. And that's the thing to me that's so key in this. Can you get, and I, you know, I think we can intellectually uh, deduce who he's talking about, but let's let's just say it's, you know, University ABC that uh, cannot participate in this, and maybe they're a bottom half spending of uh, the Big 12, for example. Are their interests still going to be aligned with the interest of someone like in East Carolina? I mean, that's there's such a void in leadership in the NCAA, and I think there's only going to be a concern about this highest subdivision that uh, there could be an re- even greater leadership golf than there is right now or void than there is right now so we'll see uh, you know to me getting i don't maybe it would be easier if you got rid of the these 30 or 40 that want to spend this kind of money and not be restricted by the uh, rules that they currently have to play by now and, and maybe everybody else would be a little better aligned who knows um last thing here and this is the other factor in all of this the big moneymaker for the NCAA, the actual organization, are the media rights to the NCAA tournament, which both CBS and Turner hold uh, in, in existence uh, or in concert with one another. Uh, so that has to be situated and figured out in some of this potentially. They're going to have to navigate with these bigger schools because – I think the first real shot over the bow that got the attention of everyone nationally, and and most people are not even tracking this, nor should they be, uh, but it is significant in my mind. You know, um, the NCAA tournament is with uh, CBS, and um, they pay a lot of money to broadcast it. Well, the NCAA also, um, it's probably, gosh, 15 years ago, it could be more than that. They bought the NIT. 
So the NCA owns the NIT kind of as their second tournament. Well, Fox is talking about putting together a tournament for the teams that don't make the NCA, and they will pay them, you know, to go to Las Vegas and do this tournament. Well, it it really would fracture a lot of things, and so I think that they're trying to figure out the financial component of it. Um, it th- there's a lot of work to do, though. I. I do think something will happen in the next three years. I don't think it's going to happen in the next two. All right, we will see. Um, just trying to see here when the so the current NCAA tournament agreement runs through thirty two. So when John was saying in the next three, I wonder what that. So again, I, I don't know how much you can have change as far as a break off own event with these top 30 or 40 schools, as long as they're members of the NCAA. And this may be a reason to placate them. I don't know. Uh, But I just thought some interesting stuff from John Gilbert today. He had some other interesting things to say as well. Uh, And again, I encourage you to go to the IBX media app and listen to uh, the uh, Hoist the Colors radio program from today. Hey, uh, going to break here, a uh, point of personal privilege. And this is... uh, a uh, happy birthday to my granddad, PK Senior, 95 today. Wow. Pretty amazing. He's a great grandfather, too. I had nothing to do with him being a great grandfather, but I was the first one to make him a granddad, so that's pretty cool. All right, we'll take a timeout, and when we uh, come back, uh, we'll do a pirate report, review the basketball from the weekend, and also talk to Cy Seymour about it a little bit later on in the show. Now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Okay, ECU with a uh, tough six-point loss to South Carolina in a game that uh, they were right there into the final minute of. Um, here is, let's see here, uh, Coach Swartz following the uh, loss to South Cacolac that dropped the Pirates to 6-4, and four, saying that uh, the Pirates had a chance to make plays down the stretch but just simply did not. I'm going to keep getting the ball to Ezra, RJ, Brandon, and Bobby in those situations. And we were playing, we were having success playing through the high pick and roll with, with uh, Ezra and Bobby. We were having success with it. So we went back to it. We went to some of our post-isolation stuff for both Ezra and RJ. We had some success. I mean, in the end of the day, a couple shots don't go in. A couple turnovers happen. You know, I mean, Ezra's gathering and the ball goes out of bounds. I mean, this is, it's just, this is the game of basketball. It's going to come down to a possession or two. And we, we knew that all week. We talked about it before the game. We talked about it at halftime. This is going to come down to a possession game. And, uh, you know, give South Carolina credit. They made the plays down the stretch. They made the shots, and we didn't. All right. And uh, Coach Swartz on what the Pirates did for most of the game to be in a position to win it late. I think it was defend. Let's hear what Coach said down seven at halftime and we came in and we talked about where they were scoring and what we what we had to fix and we talked about where we were struggling on offense and what we had to fix and I thought we came out we got to stop the first possession and the game quickly became a possession game and I think again we went up three so there was a 10 point swing in there somewhere between being down seven at the half to up three I believe three was probably our biggest lead in the second half yeah it was um but um you know just 
just continue to play uh, defensively, continue to do what we were doing. That's a very, very good offensive team. And, you know, we had everything had worked pretty well containing B.J. Mack from behind the three-point line. He got his driving the ball at the free throw line in the paint. He's a heck of a player. And he hits a huge three. He hits an absolute monster three, uh, you know, from the top of the key. Yeah, that three was uh, tough and that kind of was the fait accompli for the Pirates. Also, uh, you know, I, I think that run out of the half was really the big point in which ECU did, did make it again. If it's South Carolina had hit him with a run there or if they kind of kept him at arm's length, it, I think you would have wound up with sort of the same deal um, that you would have had. And that is, you know, um, it would have been, you know, maybe a three, four, or five possession game throughout, but it was obviously nip and tuck because of that run. Uh, thoughts on how the team rebounded from uh, Coach? South Carolina had seven offensive rebounds. Uh, I think that that's, you know, they have Josh Gray is averaging, you know, he had four versus us last year. They have they have kids on their team, really good players that are good offensive rebounds. I mean, I thought we fought. You know, I haven't looked at the rebounding numbers as much, but you know. You know, Brandon gets eight rebounds, and Bobby comes up with five, and RJ comes up with seven. So the guards obviously did a better job. You know, uh, I think Ezra is going to say, but it, you know, Ezra plays 24 minutes because of foul trouble. I, I, you know, we would love to have had Ezra for 33 or 34 minutes. Obviously, we're we were not a team that played a lot of guys today. Our bench wasn't very deep, um, just what the game called for. So not having Ezra out there for an extra 10 minutes makes a huge impact, I think, on his ability to go from four rebounds maybe to seven, eight, nine, maybe get a couple more offensive rebounds. But that's the game. You know, foul trouble is going to dictate what we got to do. And uh, I thought he did a great job getting fouled, as he always does. He got fouled six times. And we tried to go at B.J. Mack to see if we could, you know, get him in foul trouble because he's a key to their team. But I thought our guys rebounded. Um, but you need to be better to win this kind of game. And Mike Swartz elaborated on Ezra Azar picking up the uh, two fouls early. Yeah, I, pr I promise you we work on it all the time, and he knows, and, you know, he knows it's sometimes just his athletic nature, and he's got quick hands and quick feet, and he'll just see the ball, and he puts his hands down, and if you put your hand down there and you're in a place where the referee sees something and sees a little contact, you know, you're going to put it on, you're going to put it in, you know, in their hands. And where I thought he had an opportunity in the second half to pick up his third foul. It was on the baseline, and he kept his hands back. He did a great job, really, really good job. And we work on it. Um, you know, Ezra's a sophomore, and I think as Ezra continues to grow and, and under, get experience in this game, he's going to realize that he's equally as good of a defender with his chest as he is with his hands. And uh, last thing from Coach Swartz here, the lack of bench production, which has been an issue this year. I think you want to get the bench production. You really do. You know, not having Ben Baiella today was an, another guy that can give you 15 minutes. I mean, he played a good 15 or 17 minutes for Maryland Eastern Shore. So not having Ben shortens the rotation again. And it just was one of those games, you know, sometimes matchups are going to dictate what the bench can look like. And, you know, Caleb has been really, really good for us. He didn't get as many minutes today. Uh, it was probably more defensively than it was offensively. He came in, he made a three. Yeah, we we need our bench. We absolutely do. We're not, we know, and we're not going into anything saying we want to ride the starters for 37, 38 minutes. We want the bench, and the bench will continue to grow. Uh, it's just it, it wasn't there today. 
All right, uh, more on uh, this tomorrow, and we'll hear from the players in our Pirate Report. Cy Seymour will also give us some thoughts on the game coming up in our next segment. But right now, we go to Philip the Ref Pilkington, who has a 94-3 The Game Sports Update and his own Pirate Report. Pilk? Thanks, P-Man. We will start in Pirate Athletics. on or Today, the Pirates lost a key member to their defensive staff as safeties coach Tripp Weaver has taken the defensive coordinator job at Austin P. Coach Weaver was a GA here and then returned in 2020 to be the safeties coach. Also in Pirate Football News, the home-and-home home against Boise State, which is supposed to take place in 2026 and 2028, has been canceled. Pirate basketball fell to South Carolina over the weekend, 68-62. And after playing through a tough back and forth second half, Bobby Pettiford says the team can learn a lot from the game. Uh, that you know they're they're tough guys. They got grit. Um, I think this will prepare us. You know, this like a that felt like a tournament game. I feel like we was playing in March, and it comes down to the last four minutes. So you know we got to execute better. You know, me being a PG, I could have made better decisions. I kind of take that game, but just all around. You know, just, I mean, games like that are going to be dogfights from probably now on to the end of the season. That's how it's going to be. So, we just got to be, you know, immensely tough. The basketball team will be back in action against Florida at 7 on Thursday. Also, the conference has announced that Ezra Osar made the conference honor roll this week. The Panthers fell to the Saints on Sunday 28-6 for their sixth straight defeat. They will be back in action Sunday at 1 o'clock as they host the Falcons. You can hear that on our sister station, Talk 103.7. The new AP Top 25 came out today for basketball. Arizona remains on top, followed by Kansas, Purdue, Houston, and UConn. Other teams of local interest include Carolina at 9, FAU at 15, and Duke is 21st. Over the weekend, the largest contract in American sports history was signed to Shohei Otani signed with the Dodgers for 10 years, $700 million. The two-way star will not be able to pitch at his new club until the 2025 campaign due to an elbow injury. That'll do it for your 94 through the game Sports Flash Update and Pirate Report. On the other side of this timeout, we will be joined by Cy Seymour to talk a little pirate hoops. Have you noticed he's in his own little happy hour? We're back to the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. This is the happy hour program. Here's the P-Man. All right, uh, great to be joined by Cy Seymour at this time. Uh, of course, uh, ESPN plus uh, basketball analyst for ECU and the American as uh, Silas joins us here on the phone. Cy, uh, hope you're doing well. You're recovering. You're a little under the weather, my friend, as am I. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm feeling a lot better now. And I, that stuff will I'm knock you down there. a little bit, but okay, good, good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Won't you're good. We'll get back. I'm good. I'm ready to go. Yes, sir. I'm All right. uh, well, two or three days. Medication really helps nowadays. So I'm ready yeah, to go and yeah. excited about the next year, next part of the season. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk about. Uh, we just heard some comments from Coach Schwartz in the post game uh, about how everything kind of went down with uh, East Carolina dropping that decision to the uh, to the Gamecocks in what was a great game, especially the second half. Uh, you know, probably a little low scoring, but it was a a grinder. And I and I think, Cy, to me, that's the type of game you'll see in the American. Yeah, I, I thought. I, I really think there. I think. The Kennesaw State game, this game, Wilmington, they're all high-level teams. We have a tendency not to believe that, but 
that was a real athletic team in the SEC. And ECU was right in the thick of it and had the chance to win. you got to go away from there thinking, you know, if a few breaks here or there, uh, ECU wins that ball game. So I know it's frustrating for Coach Swartz, but uh, overall you got to say that was just a really good basketball game. And you're in it within the last 20 seconds, 30 seconds of the game, have plenty of chances to win it, just couldn't quite pull it off. But a lot of good things came out of that game, the second half especially, ECU picked it up. Defensively, this team has made some leaps and bounds since uh, November to this part of January, uh, December. Excuse me. No doubt about it. I think uh, give credit to they have really. It, they look like a defensive ball club that can be in the thick of things. They're handling the pick and rolls better, defending the uh, dribble drive better, doing a lot of things better. And the other day, just a couple of mistakes, and you paid for it. I mean. Three early in the first half, the guy was wide open. We just left him. That happens. That happens. And and every team has. And if you haven't hit yours, you win. That that's how close this all is. But overall, East Carolina defended well. The only t- turnover wise, really, uh, when you look at it, uh, South Carolina had nine. ECU had eight. Uh, but again, when you look at it, it spotlighted that Azar had probably too many turnovers. But the truth is. This team's got a chance to get really better, and uh, and I think uh, as long as they have time to get ready, they'll be ready for conference play. They physically can match up with people, Patrick. This is a pretty good yeah. ball club. We're talking uh, to Cy Seymour about uh, ECU basketball and what uh, happened on uh, Saturday, the loss to South Carolina. Uh, you, I mean, South Carolina is is uh, a a you know, P5 team in the sense of good guard play, long wings, big guy that could step out and shoot it. They could mix it up inside a little bit. So, again, a, a lot like an American. I mean, to me, they look like a team that you'd see in the American in a lot of ways. Uh, South Carolina did. And, uh, you know, I, I think your point is well taken. Uh, Kennesaw had some guys like that. UNCW looks like, especially on the wings, a team that you would see in the American. So, um it, it, this, this I think, bodes well for the Pirates, but I think you're going to be involved in these nip-and-tuck kind of possession games defensively. And, and as you say, it comes down to a turnover, maybe missing a defensive assignment or, or that sort of thing. I, you know, I also think this, and, and maybe there will be a resolution to this Cam Hayes thing. We're both hearing some rumblings on on that with the appeal, but uh, the Pirates kind of lack a shooter right now. And uh, with, with some of the injuries and guys in and out of the lineup and in and out of the rotation, uh, you know, that it's, it's just you, the bench is not terribly – it's a thin bench right now, to say the least. The rotation's pretty thin. But, boy, if yeah, you just had right. one it, more shooter, you, you, if you had one more shooter, who knows where you'd be right now. That's right. And, and you know, when you, you you know we talked about it the other day. Patrick, this South Carolina had in their top uh, six scores or two, uh, five scores – Four of them are transfers. They're older. They're older yeah. kids. Yeah, they uh, are. And that makes a big difference. I mean, when you when you look at B.J. Mack, and he's, you know, he's a grad transfer, and Stoops is a uh, Vanderbilt transfer, five years. They really played well. Now, don't get me wrong. Meachie's a really good player, but again, he's a transfer from Ohio State that can really fill it up. So this team really hit – they've hit the outside of the regular old four-year guys and have, have done a nice job with it. But but you're right about ECU. They got to find another shooter. A lot of times there's a fine line with shooters. Sometimes shooters can't play the defensive end, 
And and if they can't, that you, you you're always torn. Do I leave him in? Do I take him out? He helps upon one end, but not on the other. It's something you have to grow with. But but what Mike Schwartz is saying, you have to play defense first. So he's pulling guys out if they, if they miss assignments and don't get it done. He's going to pull them out, and it's the right thing to do because eventually it's on the defensive end that you win. And I think ECU knows that. And and what a really good staff. This is a tremendous staff. And uh, did a lot of things good. You know, when it gets right back down to it, if you hit your free throws, you win this ball game. You know, now they, you know, it's just part of what you're doing. You got to make them down the stretch, and ECU didn't hit the free throws down the stretch. But overall, I thought ECU got really good play. We're talking to uh, Cy Seymour, who will uh, be back on the airwaves of ESPN Plus a week from Wednesday when the uh, Pirates will host Delaware State. Cy, uh, the Pirates will have uh, Florida coming up, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about just that uh, trip and uh, and what the, they have before them in, in a bit. But I want to get your assessment on uh, Bobby Pettiford so far to this point in the season, the point guard, the transfer from Kansas. And, uh, you know, I think some people may be coming down on him for the shot he took at the end. I didn't mind a shot at the end. I thought it was, it was you know, uh, it, it, what he had in mind was the right thing to do at that juncture. But, uh Give me your idea, Sion, on how you think Pettiford has played, because to me, he's made all the difference in this team. I think he's played really, really well. And I think that you want Bobby Pettiford to want to take that shot. You don't want any hesitation. In other words, that's where you get in trouble with if you read too many chat lines. You take that shot. That's exactly what you do. That's why you're there. That's how you got there. Bobby Pettiford's a four-star recruit, and he knows how to play the game. It's just sometimes they go, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you get a foul called on it. I think Pettiford's played well. I think uh, Felton has played really well all year. And so when you look up, he's giving you 33 minutes against guys all night long uh, and, and played well against them. So no, I don't have any, any question about what, what he did. And I don't have any question about how hard he's playing. These kids are laying yeah. it out there for you against the South Carolina team. Let me ask you about uh, Ezra Zar. You know, he had a couple of those uh, turns late. And I, I think Ezra still, in many ways, his timing may have been a little off, missing missing a little bit of missing just the Wilmington game. I thought he came out with really good energy against um, Maryland Eastern Shore. And I thought he at least came out with some bounce and, and some energy uh, against the uh, – Against the Gamecocks, uh, you know, different different caliber of opponent, quite obviously. But uh, wh- how do you think Ezra played? In the, and is you know, how, well, he, he will learn, I would think, from obviously uh, those those late turnovers. They sting now, but those will be valuable lessons for him later. Well, yeah, that's the thing about it. you. Got to always remember he is a true sophomore, and sophomores are sophomores. They will they will do things wrong. You get better the longer you stay in the games. I always noticed in doing these games, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and then senior year, they really turn it on. But they always get better, especially the jump between the sophomore and junior years. And because he's going to learn, you can't, you can't put it out in front of you and dribble by these guys. He's going to learn things that you got, you got to go up strong. It's just part of it. When you're, when you're six, eight, that size and strong, you're used to physically dominating people at younger ages. Well, right. in this in this level, you got to let it come to you. You don't have to go to it all the time. You got to make you got to make sure you're in the flow of things. Make the move, make the good passes, set a good screen. It gets you back open, 
that, that, that that's the thing a lot of times kids don't understand. If you set a good screen, you're probably going to receive the ball. So, you know, part of this is just growing up, and they're teaching him the whole time. But, is it, hey, is he a good player? Yes. Do you want him in there? Yes, and he's going to make plays for you. It's just a matter of growing up. I think the Pirates, I have six guys that are they can really rely on in that rotation, but you can't do that the whole rest of the season. So who needs to sort of step it up or develop a little more quickly maybe in order to, to play some meaningful minutes? Well, I, I really think you've got – I like that the big guys are playing. I thought Callum played well. and, and I, uh, I, I think it's getting there. you you got to get everybody – I think Jaden Walker's uh, – at the end of the game, I thought he's always good to have in. He's just too good a ball, basketball player to not have in. He's strong. He can go to the hole and finish. He, he's just too good a player. I think uh, I think you got to get more out of DeBunge. And, and also, Ben Bialo is a really good player. we got to get – you know, if you're ECU, you're thinking he's a six six long wing. He's got to get more physical. And he'll learn. It's just don't get down on yourself. But he's got to get healthy, hard. too. That's the other thing. That's He's got to right. get healthy. Biela does. Yeah. That's right. And, and that will help him a lot. I think Johnson and uh, Felton and Pettiford have been pretty strong and consistent. Now you got to add the rest of them to get a little bit more consistency to win some of these games. They can do that. There's a bundle of talent on the wings. they just got to develop and stay with it and stay focused right. on what they're doing. Let me ask you really quick here, Cy, uh, before we talk a little bit about Florida uh, and just the trip in general, What, uh, w- where do you think Coach Schwartz has uh, made his greatest improvement on the sidelines from year one to year two as a head coach? Well, I think, first of all, anytime you haven't been a head coach, you're learning year by year. I think one of the key things that he did in the offseason was he was able to keep kids. The retention to keeping kids now is unbelievable. That's a, he kept four out of five, and that's a really good year. The second thing that he does, he does a lot of good things defensively and offensively. I mean, things that you're supposed to do. And his timeouts have been – timing has been perfect. I think his substitute pattern is, is really good. I think he's doing all the right things. It's just a matter now of getting used to personnel in this league, figuring out what we need to fix the pieces – this is not a one-year deal. You you got to really work hard to improve yearly, and uh, I, I think you got the right guy, and I think you got the right staff. Just stay with them and support them, because in this world, it's going to change from year to year. And Mike's that young guy that gets it. He understands that's what's going to happen. You know, my generation, right. you, you stay, but this generation, you got to be in the thick of things, and he's on top of it. Support him and that staff, and I like every coach on this staff. They are they are really really good. I think it's a matter of, yeah. of supporting and, and working with them. So, uh, Florida is next. The game will be played in Lakeland uh, at the uh, Lakeland Magic or the Magic's G League affiliate arena, which is a really nice uh, uh, arena. Um, this is a Florida team that uh, is six and three. You look at what they've done uh, against. Uh, you know what? What I think we would consider uh, really good competition. They lost to Virginia uh, in the uh, Hall of Fame series game. I'm just glancing through here. Obviously, they beat Florida State and, and kind of beat them good. Uh, beat Pitt. Lost to Baylor by four uh, in a high scoring game. Then lost to Wake on the road, which I thought was interesting. They came back and beat uh, beat uh, Richmond this past time uh, out. So. Uh, that's you know sprinkled in there. There are some low major wins, but uh, that's kind of the 
the big uh, run so far for this team. They'll get uh, Michigan and Charlotte, uh, oddly enough, on December 19th. Uh, but the Pirates first in Lakeland, Florida. So uh, when you look at this trip, it's a neutral site game, but there'll be more Florida fans there than anything, as we know. So you, you look at this, uh, Cy, and uh, you know the Pirates in their last road trip, only one of the years so far didn't fare so well at George Mason. So uh, how do you change it up or handle things a little differently and now you got a flight involved in it as well. Yeah, I think the I think what you look at is the quality of t- competition that Florida has played. Uh, look, never, never forget that you beat Richmond. That's a good win. They they are a very good, and you beat them solidly. You beat Florida State. You lose by three against Virginia. You play Baylor tough, uh, and then you know you lose by what four to Baylor, and then you lose yeah. at Wake Forest. And I think that's just hard for anybody to play on the road against good ACC schools. So they're, they're playing well. And I think the pickup of Clayton was a big deal. Walter Clayton yeah. was one of the top athletes in the state of, of Florida. He goes and plays at Iona against with uh, Rick Patino, and he's he's a really he's a horse. He's a, you know he's a Metro Atlantic Player of the Year or one of the top players. So then when when Patino leaves, he comes back to his home state and plays for the University of Florida, and he's showing that. You know he's averaging over over sixteen a game, and you know right at sixteen a game, and he's a really good player all around. And when you get a guard like that, six two, six three athlete, he he automatically li- uh, gives you credibility. He's, you know, he's uh, playing about thirty minutes a game, and he's leading them. Yeah. But they've got a lot of pieces to the puzzle, as I said before. In today's world, his two bookend wings, one from Belmont, who I think is one of the best programs in the country, or has been, and he's a shooter. But, you know, uh, and so when you look at, at what's on this ball club, you know. Will Richard can, is like I say from Belmont can shoot it. Uh, the wings, Kugel can play it. Uh, Tyree Samuel, all these guys are good athletes and they're all from other places. Uh, Tyree Samuel played at Seton Hall. These are kids that can play the game and are going to be ready to go. Going to be ready to go. Hey, Cy, thanks a lot. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling better and uh, we will uh, look forward to seeing you a week from Wednesday. Uh, we may talk to you later in the week. You never know. I always talk to you, Patrick. Thank you, man, and thanks for the great job you do on Plus. It's a lot of fun to work with you. Thank you, Cy. Nice of you to say that. All right, uh, and say hello to your wife because she makes everything go there in the Seymour household. So You're exactly right. Good luck with Jill. Same way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you, Cy. There he goes, the great Cy Seymour with us uh, here. Uh, awesome to have Cy on. We appreciate his time. All right, we're going to uh, go ahead and get out here in the uh, next uh, 90 seconds. So uh, stand by for that. Uh, we'll have an extended break, and then uh, Steve and I go. We'll be joining you from uh, the uh, lovely uh, tiebreakers there at Bell's Fork. I'm going to be uh, out tonight a little under the weather, uh, but I go with uh, Coach Swartz and uh, the interview that I go and I have conducted with uh, John David Baker. You'll hear that tonight on the ECU Sports Radio Network. Inside Pirate Athletics is uh, coming up. Thanks to uh, Cy. Thanks to Philip the Rep Pilkington. And uh, thanks to intern William. William, great job. We'll see you down the road, my friend. And uh, hope you have a great rest of your Monday evening. I'm going to go and uh, give the vocals a rest. And then we will uh, come back with uh, Talk of the Town tomorrow in the morning at 7 o'clock, and then back here for the Patrick Johnson Show tomorrow afternoon. All right, have a great rest of your evening, and stay tuned at the top of the hour. 
It is inside Pirate Athletics on uh, the ECU Sports Network from Tiebreakers with Steven Igo.